Welcome to The Syndicate, the podcast about the investors behind the overnight successes. It takes years, it takes money. On this show, we interview the top angel investors, venture capitalists, and startups to share what it really takes to succeed with startup investing. I'm your host, Matt Ward, and I'm a serial entrepreneur and angel investor. And I believe startups are the future, and angel investing is the best way to build real, true wealth. To find out more about us and join our syndicate on AngelList, please visit thesyndicate.vc. But now, let's get on with the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the Syndicate Podcast, where we talk angel, early stage, and startup investing. Today we've got Phil Nadell on the line. Some of you might know Phil. I, wait, I, did I say the name wrong? I'm terrible with names. I'm glad you asked. You said it correctly, and you have the firm name. It's Forefront Venture Partners. Yeah, I hear, I hear you've done some good stuff, Phil. So uh, I got introduced to Phil through AngelList. I'm actually a member of his syndicate and have been speaking back and forth. And I wanted to have him on the show today because he's got a ton of experience in the startup space, both in the VC and angel side of things. And really wanted to learn as much as I can from you and hopefully make the podcast interesting. Sound good? Sounds great. So, Phil, tell me a little bit more about yourself. How did you get into this world? Oh, I've been doing uh, venture capital investing for a long time. I've been a serial entrepreneur for many years. And uh, what I found is that um, when I exited... uh, Uh, some companies a while ago, I started getting calls from uh, friends and relatives and acquaintances who were starting companies looking for investors and advisors. And uh, they were calling me and asking for investments. So years ago, I started making uh, investments in companies that were founded by people I knew. And that went quite well. And then uh, uh, after that sort of expanded out to to the larger universe of uh, companies out there. And uh, have, so I was investing sort of part-time for many years. And then about, uh, about five or six years ago, really just decided that this was my full-time thing and uh, have built a large portfolio since then. And in terms of the syndicate, we formed that about three and a half years, almost four years ago now on AngelList, shortly after AngelList uh, introduced the syndicate feature on their platform. So you get out, you get started working with friends. First of all, there's kind of like that double-edged sword of working with friends. It can go great. It can go terrible. Any advice Any advice on people looking at investing in startups or their friends? Just be prepared to lose all your money. As in, with any venture capital or early stage investment, you know, there's always the risk with friends of sort of souring or ruining the, the friendship or worse, if it's a relative, um, you know, hurting that relationship. There's the, that's a major risk. So if you're, as an investor, if you're going to feel like you're going to hurt the relationship if the money is lost, then don't do it. If you can invest and, and say, okay, I'm helping a friend, I'm helping a relative, and, and if it doesn't work out, you know, it's fine. I, I, I'll be fine with it. Then you may consider it. But it's it definitely, as you point out, definitely a uh, double-edged sword. It's a tricky, uh, tricky situation. So you have to be willing to live with complete loss of your investment and still have the same relationship or, or a good relationship with that friend or relative. And to be fair, a lot of it's the abundance mindset of the tech industry as a whole, where you're investing in these people and you're like, well, crap, I'm probably, I'm probably losing the money anyway. So you might as well go with, go with the friends. It doesn't create as much of a pressure bubble as traditional investments might where you're investing 
I don't know, in someone's small business, et cetera. But then you, you get into this and you start, you've got a, a, a business on the side or a, a job on the side and you start transitioning into a more permanent role. I know now you're working at Forefront. How, how did that come about? What have you seen in the industry change and how did you start getting into that more professional role? Uh, well, I, I, yeah, so I've been, I've been ramping up my venture capital investing while also uh, continuing to run companies that I founded uh, over the years. But when I realized that my true passion lies with investing in, in early stage companies and helping uh, those people, the founders of those companies to grow their companies and to, uh, and to expand, that's when I said, you know what, this is really what I want to be doing. I still own several companies that I founded, but I'm not actively managing them at all. So 100% of my time is really focused on on investing, and and I've been doing that, you know, full time as I said for many years now. And I've we have a portfolio of of more than 100 uh, companies, not through the syndicate, but including companies I've invested in on my own. So you're getting in, you're investing into these companies, and as you start to go full time, what does that look like on your day split versus deal flow, working with investors? looking into due diligence on startups. What, how do you spend your time to be successful in this game? Uh, that, that's an interesting question. So uh, much, of my t- the, much of my time is spent on uh, talking to founders of companies. So you could call that sort of a deal flow or, or selecting deals. And probably the second largest bucket is on due diligence. Uh, fortunately, we have, you know, we have a, a small team that helps with that. But uh, but I do spend a lot of my time on due diligence, and we're very very thorough. I hear constantly from founders of companies that by far we ask more questions and require more information than any other early stage investor, and that uh, I'm very proud of that. Even though uh, you know I, I may drive them crazy during due diligence, I'm proud of the fact that we do that and we we take that responsibility very seriously. And of course, I do spend a good amount of time interacting with our syndicate investors when they have questions or comments or uh, require some information that I can help them with. So, you know, deal flow, fortunately, uh, has been uh, never has never been a problem. We have we have a lot of deal flow, fortunately, a lot of connections in the industry. And so we're really grateful that we see a lot of deal flow. It's just the time I spend is is sifting through and trying to select out the true gems uh, of the uh, of the large amount of uh, large number of deals that we see, and that's that's uh, what I spend most of my time on, along with due diligence. How do you sort out the gems? Not on the due diligence side, but on the personal side. What are you looking for? Well, that's interesting because you know we are really focused on building a diversified portfolio. Uh, so this is different than a lot of early stage investors who are maybe focused on one particular space or industry or sector. That's, that's not our approach. So we focus on investing in post-revenue companies, but we're industry agnostic. We look for capital efficient companies where we're going to see at least, we like to see at least 18 months worth of runway after the close of the round we're investing in. So they have to be capital efficient. We're not looking for companies that are burning through cash that are going to need to raise a lot more money or need to raise a lot of money more, uh, need to raise money quickly. Uh, that's not that's not our focus. And we only invest in post revenue companies, companies currently generating revenue. 
but you know, in terms of uh, of sector, uh, we are agnostic. Uh, we will look across a broad broad range of sectors uh, to build that diversified portfolio. So if you look at our portfolio, you know we have B two B companies and B two C companies. We have direct to consumer companies. We have marketplaces. We have various tech enabled SaaS companies. Just the whole panoply consumer you know, hardware companies, software. It's just Really, the whole panoply of of different types of companies, and also we're geographically agnostic, at least within sort of U.S. and Canada, and we do some investing outside of U.S. and Canada as well. But within the U.S., again, unlike a lot of early stage investors, we are uh, geographically agnostic. And that's interesting because in both of those two points, you're very different than a lot of other VCs, angels out there. Why do you believe that your strategy works? Do you think it's better than other other VCs' thesis? Or do you think it's just different? Talk to how you guys got there. Yeah, uh, I do think it's better, uh, but that's uh, that's that's my opinion, and everyone's you know got their own opinion, right? So the reason uh, we prefer the strategy is, um, as you know, uh, sectors get hot and then cool off again, and if you're you know if you're focused on one sector uh a lot of times your portfolio is going to be very subject to the ups and downs of one particular uh space and also you tend to end up looking very deeply into that space and sometimes investing in companies that may not be truly standouts but you're since you're limited to a particular sector with only so many market entrants you know, you end up maybe sometimes investing in ones that are your second and third choice, and we don't want to be put in that position. I like the idea of of investing across a wide range of industries, and you know, with certain common denominators that we look for, including, of course, great founding teams and revenue traction, and and a, a variety of other uh, other common denominators. But the point is that I think that. Spreading your investments over a wide range of, of uh, industry types gives you the best chance of uh, outperformance in terms of your ROI on your entire portfolio. And we're very focused on portfolio performance. That's what we're looking for. And that's why we think a diversified portfolio makes sense. Just like if you were investing in public company equities, you'd want to build a diversified portfolio. And in terms of the geography, that's just a function of believing, as we do, that there are great companies all over this country and all, all over the world, of course, for that matter. But just focus on the U.S. There are some there are great companies everywhere. You don't have to be in Silicon Valley. You don't have to be in New York to be a great company and to have great opportunities for success. It's more challenging sometimes for companies that are in secondary or tertiary markets to uh, to raise capital and to hire the proper team. So there's some sometimes there are some resource challenges that they have, and we're always cognizant of that when we invest. But given the fact that they that they can put together the right team and uh, are demonstrating the ability to raise capital, we find it very profitable to invest outside sometimes of the of the major uh, centers of investing, like New York and Silicon Valley, and oftentimes. That's where we find the best uh, values in lower stage, uh, in, in lower valuation deals. So in the earlier stage deals, if they're in a secondary market, we often see the best values where the valuations are not as uh, inflated as they are in some of these other markets. 
Would you have a multiplier so you could say Silicon Valley is 50% more inflated than your traditional or is it is it just very variable? I don't know what, you know, if you look at it globally sort of that way, I don't know what the multiplier would be, but I can tell you from my experience, it's significant. Some companies it's certainly worth, you know, paying for and some are more realistic even if they're in Silicon Valley. But others uh, just have a, a too high a multiple for us to justify. And so even though we may love the company, product, the founders, if the valuation doesn't make sense, we're going to pass. So do you guys pass on a lot of YC companies then? <laughs> we do. We do. Uh, YC, uh, there, there are certainly some great companies that go through YC. But as I think you're alluding to, there's sort of this YC premium that um, a lot of companies uh, feel they are entitled to. And um, it, so we end up passing on a lot of them. We certainly have invested in our share of YC companies. Oftentimes, it's uh, not immediately uh, after their demo day. It's uh, after a while when they've had trouble raising and they're more, they become uh, more reasonable in terms of their valuation. So uh, oftentimes when they just finish up YC and they're doing the demo day, they have valuations that we feel are, are not reasonable. And so we'll pass at that time. But we have a number of them in our portfolio. Do you look at bridge rounds at all? So you were talking about after they've been waiting a while, do you mean when they're trying to bridge to a Series A or in general, they just drop the valuation and still go for the 18 month? Uh, it's, it's usually when they've dropped the valuation that they've had trouble raising, but we definitely invest in bridge rounds. And sometimes we find the best valuations are in bridge rounds. Um, and of course, uh, you have to be careful, right? You want to make sure they're going to have enough runway after closing a bridge round. And we want to make sure that you know the reason that the valuation is what it is, is not that they've had trouble growing the company or trouble with the product, but for whatever reason, they didn't raise enough and they've run out of cash before they're ready for uh, an A round. So we definitely invest in, in seed, bridge, and A rounds. That's sort of our, our sweet spot. How agnostic should investors be to early stage valuations? So three million, four million kind of deal. Is that something where you guys are fine with letting it run under the water? Or is that something where you have some kind of hard fast rule? Uh, are you? Are, I'm not clear on the question. Are you saying, in other words, how important is it to differentiate between a company that's raising at a three million or a four million? Like where where does it become? Where does that valuation become important? Is that what you're asking? When does it become a problem? Founder thinks it's four, you think it's three and a half kind of deal. So specifically, much more so for angel investors, when they're looking at companies and the valuation seems slightly off, but at the same time, the, the team's great, the idea's great, and they're, they've got traction. They just don't have that much traction. Well, okay, I understand what you're asking now. And I think that the, the determining the proper valuation is certainly more art than science, right? So I, I wish it were an easy arithmetic formula you could apply to every deal and say, here's the right valuation and everyone agrees on it. That's not the case. It's subjective. It's more of an art uh, form than anything else. So th there's always a range of what I, I would call reasonable valuations, right? And so companies will, you, you know, the evaluation will hopefully fall within that range of reasonableness. And if it, if it does, then we'll invest. So we're not going to argue over you know, a few a few dollars here and there valuation if in your example if we love the company and the product and the and the founders want a four million dollar dollar valuation we we're pushing for three and a half 
that's probably not going to kill the deal. But it's more frequently a lot larger gulf than that, where the company wants a $10 million valuation and it should really be priced at a $5 million valuation, something like that. So that would be sort of outside what we would call that range of reasonable valuations, and then we would pass. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And transitioning a little bit, so you've got the AngelList Syndicate going. You're also working with your venture partners. How do you differentiate between what you're doing, what you look at, what type of deals you look at, and kind of the – is there a conflict there? How, do, how does it work for VC oh. partners? Just to, to clarify, um, there aren't, we, we aren't sort of working in both spheres. 100% of the companies that we invest in, we share with our AngelList Syndicate Forefront Venture Partners. So f- the syndicate on AngelList Forefront Venture Partners is our entire focus. We don't also have a fund. We don't also have LPs. We are just focused on working with our syndicate investors and building out a diversified portfolio together. Does that make sense? Do you that, understand that what makes, I'm That makes perfect sense. That was, that was my bad. Okay. Understood. How are you? So you're working with companies, you're getting deals. How are you adding value to investors or to startups? I know everyone talks about adding value and some VCs say it's bullshit. Some VCs say we add a lot of value and they actually do. How do you, how do you weigh when people are? Are viewing these t- or talking about these type of type of things? What what kind of value can invest or startups get out of investors, out of syndicates, out of VCs? Yeah, so I think there are a few areas where VCs and other uh, small investors can help the companies they invest in. Certainly, I would say introductions, strategic introductions, are probably uh, near the top of the list. Whether those introductions be with uh, or to companies. That could be potential partners with the company you invested in or the partners, or they could be customers, potential customers. Those, that's a big area. So if I've invested in a, a SaaS company that's in the you know, whatever space, whatever they're doing, if I can help introduce them to potential customers or maybe a marketing partner, business development partnership, that's a, I think that's a real value add. Certainly, like first thing we do is we comb through our portfolio and we say, okay, where are potential connections right in our portfolio? That's, that's low-hanging fruit. But then the next stage is you know, everyone we know. Who do we know that could benefit from the product? Who do we know that could uh, potentially be a partner for them in whatever way? And so we're reaching out to connections that we have, uh, both in terms of other investors and, and other companies. So we may not be an investor in a company that could be a good match for one of our portfolio companies. But if I know a VC who is, I'll reach out to him and get an introduction. So we'll do that. Then the next area I think uh, where investors can be helpful is helping to identify great talent. High growth companies need to hire a lot of talented people, smart people. And to the extent that the investors can help them find and recruit those talented people, that's a real value add, I think. And I guess another big area where investors can help is with identifying uh, capital sources and helping the company to raise future rounds. We've been um, very successful in identifying Series A and Series B lead investors, VC firms to lead the investment rounds for our portfolio companies that have gotten to those levels. So 
we do all of that. And I think there's, there's probably a lot more areas where we help. Some of it is just sort of st- strategic consulting. So a lot of times I'll get calls from our, inve- from our uh, founders of the companies we've invested in, and they will just say, hey, let me bounce something off of you. What do you think of this? Is this the right way for us to go? Whether it be a sort of marketing decision they're grappling with or distribution or whatever they're grappling with, financing, you know, we act as a sounding board and we'll try to help them with some of those decisions. And there's always a lot going on in a founder's head. They always need some help. I want to jump, yeah. into, I want to jump into the lightning round now. Sound good? Uh, sure. Okay. First deal you ever did? Through the syndicate, the first deal we ever did was PaintSend, which what? is still one of my favorite. What do they do? Paintsin is a, is a marketplace for home and office painting. They make it super easy to get your home or office painted just by going on the website. They give you an automatic quote and you get the job done quickly and easily. Great company, fantastic founders, just one of my favorites. Interesting. And that is always a pain to set up. That sounds like a smart business. What's the, what's the biggest mistake you've ever made? <sighs> biggest mistake I ever made? Well, I, I don't know if this is a mistake I made, but the Sort of the, the most frustrating deal that, that I tried to do was we, we uh, committed to a, a deal. We, we raised the money through our syndicate, but it hadn't closed yet. So none of the funds had been transferred yet. And just at that sort of last stage, we found out that the lead investor, who we knew very well, pulled the plug and decided that because of problems they were having internally, they weren't able to invest. And as a result, some of the other investors outside of our group were pulling the plug also. So the, basically, the round fell apart, and the company would not have had any kind of significant runway uh, with the cash that was left that they were being able to, to raise. So we had to uh, pull the plug as well and not, um, uh, not invest in the deal. That was, that was quite frustrating. I wouldn't say it was a mistake. I'm very glad we didn't invest. So sometimes you're you know, as you know, sometimes your best decisions are deciding not to invest. And in that case, uh, we, we love the company, but it wouldn't have made sense for us to go forward given that they had very little cash that was being raised. So that was a, a big disappointment. Yeah, it's teaching someone to fish versus ending them a fish. Money, money or mission? Uh, money. Money, money is an obligation. Uh, mission is more of a privilege. Interesting, interesting. Very good, very good. YC Techstars, AngelPad, or somebody else? Uh, look, we don't, we don't outsource any of our due diligence, right? Many of our companies we invest in do get value from these programs, but it doesn't affect our decision-making one bit. We don't give preference to companies that go through any of those programs, even though we do invest in them sometimes, but it doesn't play a role in our decision-making. But to answer your question more directly, sort of looking back, some of our most successful companies, I would say, went through AngelPad, but we do have uh, great uh, companies in our portfolio from 500 startups, Techstars, and NYC as well. And last but not least, who's the best entrepreneur in tech today and why? All right. Not including any of my portfolio companies. Okay. We'll, because that, we'll, that let wouldn't you go, be... we'll let you go for the big shots. Yeah. You don't have to play yeah. nice. All right. Good. So I don't have to be uh, politically correct because I don't want to play favorites with them, but how can you not go with Elon, right? I mean, I'm in awe of Elon Musk. I'm a customer of his, and I love, I love the companies, and I love uh, his vision. I mean, no one since Steve Jobs has more vision than Elon. But I have to say, Jeff Bezos is pretty amazing, too. I don't know the answer to your question, but we're about to find out when the bubble bursts. 
guys, right? It's when we'll find out who uh, who the real superstars are, the best entrepreneurs uh, after the bubble bursts. Then then the true stars will shine. To be honest, I I would say Elon's at least 10x as visionary as Steve Jobs, and I know we'll get hate mail for this, but there's a difference between consumer devices and changing the world. I agree 100. percent I'm with you on that. Hard to quantify 10x, but I agree that he's uh, he's more the visionary. He's, from, he's um, from the future. He just didn't tell us about the time machine. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I'm a big fan, as I said, but uh, it's hard to ignore Jeff Bezos too. You know, he's uh, sort of in in the same uh, category. Good and evil. Good and evil. One, <laughs> la- one last question. This is a personal one. What's the best way to build up a syndicate? What have you seen to be successful in attracting people to your syndicate, attracting people to you guys to invest alongside you? Well, uh, for one, I think that it's important to be 100% dedicated to your syndicate and not to have other conflicts that are pulling at you, like your own fund or uh, investments that you make outside of the syndicate. So I think it's important to be 100% focused and and uh, on the syndicate and building a portfolio through the syndicate and to be incredibly responsive to syndicate investors. And also, I would say, to provide as much information and transparency to your syndicate investors as possible. And I don't see that enough in, in other people's syndicates. We try to be absolutely transparent and provide as much information about the companies we're investing in as possible. We do webinars for our syndicate investors. We, we make the founders extremely accessible. We do an extensive write-up of each deal. We, we do videos that will talk about our reasons for investing in each deal. We really try to provide a, a lot of information so that our investors can make their own educated decision and not um, uh, you know, have to be forced into deciding based on just a few facts. So those are some of the things that I think make for a successful syndicate. And those are some of the most important, especially that conflict of interest. If you're working, there can be there can be all sorts of stuff. Thanks for thanks for coming on today, Phil. I know you're busy. You got to catch a flight. But before we hop off, where's the best place for people to check you out? Hop onto your syndicate, connect with you guys, hopefully invest a little bit of money. Uh, I appreciate that. The best place is uh, ForefrontVP.com. That's our website forefront f-o-r-e-f-r-o-n-t vp.com or of course just do a search on angelist for forefront venture partners and you'll find us there happy to speak with anyone interested in uh, investing alongside of us of course there's no obligation you can join the syndicate and just check out the deals that we're investing in and invest in the ones you like and pass on the other ones and matt i appreciate your inviting me to uh, to talk with you a little bit today it's always a pleasure and i appreciate your support as one of our syndicate investors Thanks for coming on today and thanks for thanks for syndicating the deals. It's always good to look at some some other startups. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Awesome. Have a great day and you guys will talk to you guys again soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the syndicate, the podcast where angel investors and VCs go off the cuff and discuss the ins and outs of the venture ecosystem. We're here to share the tips and tricks of the best in the business because startups and tech make the pie bigger. To learn more about us and what we do, visit the syndicate.vc. And to join our syndicate on AngelList, just go to the syndicate.vc slash join and get access to some of the best startup deals. This has been another episode of The Syndicate. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys again next week.